Good morning. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman came from, from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Thanks, Kathy. Morning, all. I'm Shane and I'm a guy with children who are getting older and as they get older it's getting more difficult to watch TV shows and movies with them. And there was a time you could watch Roadrunner together and as Roadrunner and Coyote, I always go for Coyote by the way, who goes for Roadrunner? Lame. You go for Coyote. So as uh, Roadrunner and Coyote run across a rope bridge onto a cliff and Coyote's on the cliff and Roadrunner doesn't make it and then Coyote cuts the ropes to the bridge and the bridge and the cliff falls down and Coyote I now got kids who are at this age of critical thinking and they're quoting laws of physics and rubbish at me and not just just let it happen like that's how Roadrunner works and then you know I got other things where you know like any normal-minded person understands that if you have a scene change, regular scene changes and play an inspirational song over the back, it's called a montage, you can take someone from rank beginner to best in the world in one song. Now my kids are going, oh, that's unrealistic, nobody becomes that good, there's a 10,000-hour rule and all this sort of thing. They're quoting all this stuff. And what is wrong with sending a... A metal robot with human tissue back in time. I didn't try to watch a Terminator with my children. Caught you out there. You thought I was. We got time travel questions and all sorts of things because they've come to this point of critical thinking. What it's meant is as we watch shows together, I've had to introduce them to this idea of suspending their disbelief. Like, if you're going to get full value out of this show, you're just going to have to park the physics for a moment because if you want to get the laughs out of Roadrunner, you've got to let the cliff fall down and the rope bridge stay up. Suspend the disbelief, let the show tell its story, and then you'll get the full value. I'm telling you this because this morning I need you to do a little bit of suspending as well. As you hear this account of Jesus and this Canaanite woman it would not be wrong for you to feel a level of offence. 
I'm concerned that we live in a time where offence is the great taboo. Offence is my reason to shut down and withdraw. I'm not suggesting to you that it's wrong for you to feel a discomfort as you hear this sort of language of, you're a dog and all this sort of stuff. But what I'm going to ask you to do, like I do with my my kids, is suspend your offence for a moment and press into the story with me. Don't freak out. It's okay to feel the offence. Don't let it stop you getting the full value of the story. Come with. There's a reason why I suspect we feel offence at this point. Maybe it's twofold. One is just Jesus' manner and his language. At best, you'd say he seems quite aloof. He doesn't even say anything as this woman comes up to him. At worst, it's rude, it's racist, and it's mean with some of the things that he does say to this woman. But as we push him further, probably the second reason is I think there's something about his lack of diplomacy that makes us feel awkward. Awkward is another one of the great taboos of our time. We don't like it. See, we understand something of diplomacy. Okay, if you're saying, I don't understand something of diplomacy, everybody's wishing that you did. Okay, so when people come together, what we try to do is avoid gaps. So you get two strangers together, two of your friends, what do you do? You say, this is such and such and this is such and such. You take away the stranger danger to start with, you give them names. Then you think of something that they hold in common. Oh, you like volleyball and you like volleyball. Or you think of a common friend. Yeah, you both would know such and such because you both went to Fig Tree High. And you bring these things that minimise the gap and find points of alignment. You don't say, Oh, Bill, this is my friend Tony. Tony voted for, for the Liberal Party and you voted for the Labor Party. You guys should talk about politics. That rarely happens. That's why we have these rules, these etiquette things like don't discuss politics and religion. Because we try to minimise the gap between people. I want to offer you two guiding principles as I lead us through this passage this morning. The two guiding principles are these. Please, for the sake of the story, suspend your offence. The second principle is, I want you with me to observe the gap that emerges. Suspend your offence, observe the gap. Here we go. The story starts and you'll see a journey commences. And as the journey begins, a gap appears. Look at it with me. Leaving that place, what place? Jesus was in a place where he was speaking with some Pharisees, experts in the law, hardcore Jews, who have come from Jerusalem, the centre of Judaism. They've come to him and they're discussing stuff. Well, Jesus leaves that place. He steps out of kind of churchy headquarters and look at the language. Not only does he leave, he withdraws. You see, he's getting away from that sort of place. And he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now this is significant. Because what we have in Jesus is a king who is on mission. What we have in Jesus, as in Matthew 4, earlier in this book we hear, Jesus who brings light that dawns on those who are living in darkness. Here you're going to see a gap start to appear as a journey begins. Because Jesus, the light bringer, has come to a place that you would rightly describe as living in darkness. Tyre and Sidon is a place that God is not pleased with. 
In fact, if you were to rewind and go back into the earlier parts of the scriptures, we read this at 8 o'clock, books like Amos. When God's naming some specific geographic locations that he won't relent from condemning, Tyre gets a mention. That's not a good shout-out. That's a bad shout-out. In fact, most of the, a lot of the prophets of dooms, your, your Ezekiels and your Jeremiahs and your Amoses, they have Tyre in the gun sights as a place that's in darkness that God's not pleased with. So as Jesus comes and his light and his kingdom of heaven emerges in this place, whilst the geography is getting closer, a gap is emerging. There is a contrast. Even in chapter 11 of Matthew, this is a place considered dark, not great. So here comes Jesus withdrawing from there, uh, sorry, leaving there, withdrawing and coming into this space. The journey begins and a gap is emerging. Well, a woman is also on a journey. As we read, she comes to Jesus. Now, you might say maybe she was just visiting there as well. No, she's not just visiting there. In fact, we're told explicitly this woman is from that vicinity. She's one of the people, I guess, who makes the dark place dark. So we've got the representative of light and a representative from the dark place coming together. She's named here a Canaanite woman. Now, Matthew and one of Jesus' other biographers, Mark, tell this same story. And Mark's account is probably written before Matthew's. When Mark tells this story, he calls this woman a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew seems to want to... uh, Maybe he doesn't know the rules of diplomacy either. He raises the gap a little. He doesn't call her a Syrophoenician woman. He calls her the Canaanite woman. And I guess we could say this is a pejorative term. Do you remember or maybe you haven't read yet, when God rescued his people and brought them into the promised land, the promised land was the land of Canaan. And God didn't say, when you complete the journey, you'll come into Canaan, you're going to meet some fantastic neighbours there, they're called the Canaanites, bake them a cake and you'll be friends. He says, no, there's an immense gap between you and them, for you are the people of the God of heaven and they are an evil people and you will drive the Canaanite out of the land, for they are under my judgments. They're in darkness. You're the people of light. Matthew, the biographer here, highlights a gap that Jesus hasn't just come to a Syrophoenician lady. He refers to her as a Canaanite. A Canaanite from the vicinity of a dark place. It gets, the gap gets bigger because this Canaanite woman then speaks to Jesus and she says, Lord, son of David, Now, son of David is a fairly, uh, it's not a term that a lot of people use. It's not that common in the Bible. It's not that common in Matthew. It's fairly specific as a title for Jesus. Jesus descends from the great King David. But not everyone calls him that. It's not on his name tag at church. He prefers son of man, generally. She calls him son of David. Now, this is a term uh, often of contrast in Matthew's Gospel. Usually, son of David is said by blind people. And it usually contrasts that the blind seem to recognise this king when the Pharisees and other teachers of the law don't recognise the king. The contrast is they see what the others don't. Here again, there's contrast in Son of David because David was the king of Israel. David was the warrior king who led Israel in battles against 
Canaanites. David led Israel in battles against famous Canaanites like the Philistines. David was the warrior who battled against the Canaanite Philistine champion, Goliath. You couldn't have a bigger gap open up right now. Two champions of war who battled each other and the Canaanite woman says, Son of David! The gap is enormous between these two individuals. There is light and dark. There is an ancient nationalistic war. And then she also calls him Lord. Lord, my daughter is demon-possessed. Now this might raise enormous suspicion about what has been the practice in this woman's household that demon possession became a part of it. A reader of Matthew in ancient times might also say, okay, so demon possession, how did it go for you? There are accounts in the scriptures, including in Acts, where demon possession caused someone to become uh, gifted, powerful or strong. There's a girl in Acts who has a demon and she's able to prophesy. Uh, the Pharisees once accused Jesus of driving out demons by having harnessed a greater demon. So how's this demon possession going for you? Not good. She suffers terribly. Here's my paraphrase. Lord, one who is from the kingdom of heaven, my daughter is under the curse of God. Possessed and suffering. Friends, will you observe the gap? Suspend your offence for a moment and observe this enormous gap between these two individuals who have journeyed into each other's proximity but could not be further apart. They could not be further apart. At this point, surely there's an anticipation in us that says, well, if they've come together in proximity and there's this horribly awkward gap well, Jesus, say something nice and close it. Make it, make it nice because this is awkward. We want to have coffee at morning tea and you're making us all feel awkward right now, Jesus. What Jesus does is say nothing. Verse 23, Jesus didn't answer a word. Now, at this point, we really have to suspend our offence because you might take this as a soundbite and say, oh, wow. How could Jesus act with such indifference? I guess sometimes even Jesus has bad days because this woman's cried out, she's in turmoil, and he's indifferent towards her. Gee, it would have been better if he said, get lost. He just ignores her. That's horrible. It would be wise of us to suspend our disbelief at this point and understand that indifference would not be consistent with Jesus' behaviour. This is the guy who we've read about just last week who had compassion on the 5,000 strangers plus and fed them. This is like maybe if you had a neighbour for like 40 years who had always been a great neighbour and as you're driving home one day, you see your house and your neighbour throw a brick through your window and start flooding your living room with the garden hose. You might think malicious damage or you might think, oh, fire, he's trying to help. It's worth finding out the whole picture. I doubt Jesus is indifferent here. In fact, I contend he's not. Jesus' silence is an opportunity to observe and to consider the gap between he and this woman. He doesn't rush. Moving out of the awkward is not his priority. 
He creates a space for his disciples, both ancient and gathered here today, to think about the gap and consider how it could possibly be closed. Now, his original disciples in the story, they observe the gap. They observe the woman who's crying out and what do they do? They do what's becoming a bit of an anthem for them. They say, send her away. I think these guys are on the brink of getting T-shirts made up that say, send them away. Because isn't that what they did when the 5,000 people turned up and they hadn't brought lunch and they said, look, these people are hungry. Send them away. Before we throw the disciples under the bus, however, I want to say these guys have a pretty good legacy. (laughs) We're kind of it. These are some of Jesus' first followers who responded in faith to far less than what has been revealed to us. These aren't bad guys. I'd say these are good guys acting in average ways. Surely in each one of our our cupboards somewhere, you know, metaphorically, you would find a send them away t-shirt. I'll go first. You'd find one in mine. Sometimes the gap just seems too big. The people are too hard and I think, send them away. I'm never about you guys. (laughs) Other people. Send them away. That's what they say. They say, gap too big. (laughs) She's not crossing it. We're not crossing it. Send them away. Let's get some proximity so we don't have to think about this gap. And here, Jesus now speaks. But as Jesus speaks, the gap intensifies. He's not ready to make everyone feel good. I'm going to go quick. Jesus says, hey, you need to understand that I'm the one who came for Israel. If you're not familiar with this, let me give you a quick backstory. God had chosen a nation called Israel as his chosen people and he had a plan that those people would bless the whole world. But those people were his first choice. Jesus says, I've come to Israel. I'm Israel's anointed one. I'm Israel's Messiah. That's who I've come from. He says to her, I've come from Israel and you're not it. You're not them. This woman's a Gentile. She's a non-Israelite. Worse, she's a Canaanite. She's one of Israel's ancient enemies. He says that, intensifies the gap. What does the woman do? She appeals. Jesus says, it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Yeah, it sounds offensive. Spare a thought for the 8 o'clock congregation. They heard from Amos this morning where women got called cows as well, but that's a whole other sermon for Ian. Jesus, in the best possible way, is keeping it real at this point. What would make everyone comfortable is if he would just pretend there wasn't some kind of issue. But Jesus isn't into pretending. Jesus is the Lord who keeps it real. Jesus says it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, dogs was an offensive term, not in the most horrible way, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't flattery at all. Dogs was a common term for Gentiles, for non-Jews. Jesus uses it. He uses the language that everyone else is using. That's in their heart. He doesn't try to pretend that the gap's not there. The gap's there. It's not right to take the food of the children and chuck it to the dogs. Yes, it's offensive, but Jesus is not comforting anyone by pretending the gap is not real. And for right and for wrong reasons, his audience will be wondering how on earth could Jesus and this woman close the gap and have a fruitful encounter? 
how is it possible that this Canaanite and the Messiah of Israel are going to find any common ground? Because Jesus just seems to be making it worse. He's just highlighting what already is. Well, of course, you've heard the story. Verse 28 tells us that the gap is closed. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Sorry, I left a little um, thing in there. That little A doesn't belong there. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus has done it. He's rescued the woman. It's fruitful. Somehow the gap is closed. And it's a happy ending to the story. And I bet you're so glad you suspended your disbelief. Jesus has helped. But there are three words that I want to bring to our attention. Three words spoken by the woman that explain much or give us a lens to understand how this gap is closed. Here are the three words. Mercy, help and dogs. Mercy. When she asks for mercy, son of David, have mercy on me, she says, would you please hold back the consequences of my distance from you? Don't let me have what's coming to me. I live in darkness and in the darkness I've come into the demonic realm, who knows how. That's overtaken my daughter. It's overtaking my home. There's great suffering. The way I'm going is not a way I want to go. Maybe from her choice, maybe from who knows how, but she's there. She's saying, I don't like this road I'm travelling down. Have mercy on me and spare me from the course I am on. She appeals for mercy. We are in a series called On This Rock He Will Build. We can have confidence that he will build on this rock, this rock of faith in him, because of his mercy. You see, mercy, brothers and sisters, mercy brings hope. Sometimes when I'm heading down a trajectory that is unhealthy like this woman, I think my trajectory defines my destiny. What happened yesterday and what is happening today means that my future will be in alignment with that. The past performance is indicative of the future results and this is a trajectory that is poor. Mercy says you don't have to get what's coming to you. Mercy brings hope. Mercy from God means that the trajectory you've been on does not have to be the destiny you inherit. The next word is help. She asks Jesus for help. She says, do for me what I can't do for myself. Give me something, give me assistance, that is beyond me. We believe that on this rock he will build because we have a God who helps. Just as mercy brings hope, help brings favour. Help brings favour. God's smile upon you is his help. God's blessing to you, God's favour, God favouring you with something that is not yours, something you don't deserve and something that is gifted. She says help, she looks for the favour of God. And in this, 
In this understanding that we can have confidence that he will build on this rock because of his good favour is both an encouragement and, may I warn you, a gentle rebuke. Too many times in my life and too many times have I heard those who are saved by Jesus refer to themselves as, you know, I'm, I'm not really a good Christian. Somehow assuming that their place in the kingdom of heaven, to use Matthew's language, is somehow based on their performance under God. We say, oh no, no, we're saved by Christ alone, but somehow I'm not a good Christian. Christians are people who are rescued by the work of Jesus, who have received his help. And he never gives bad help. He only gives good help. He only redeems in perfection. There are no good and bad Christians. There are just Christians. And my heart hopes, not yet Christians. But there are no degrees of Christians. If you are saved by Christ, you are saved in perfection because you have received his help. You've received his mercy. With his mercy you have hope, with his help you have favour. You see, the gospel of Jesus... This message that he came and laid down his life for my sin and rose again that I might have new life is certainly not a sin management program. Sometimes we fall into the mistake of thinking, oh, it's like a sin management program where where Jesus does this work and you wake up to it and then uh, he makes you better and yes, by his spirit, he will continue to change your life. But we sometimes think, and then as I manage my sin and I get better at not sinning as much, I become a better Christian. But that's a mistake, because there are only perfect Christians. The gospel is not a sin management program, the the gospel is a sin not counted program. And so Paul in Romans quotes the psalm that says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are covered over, whose sins are not counted against them. They don't matter, they're gone, for you've received the help and the favour of the one who's made you perfect in his sight. And that is what he did for this Canaanite woman, and that is what he does for all who turn to him in faith. The last word, dogs. This woman doesn't reject the title dog. I paraphrase again, I think she says, look, I don't pretend to be... I don't pretend that I'm any more than I am and nor do I need to. I trust that you can close the gap between us without me moving at all. The reason why these words, on this rock he will build, fill me with confidence and strength, hope and favour is because I have a God who is not waiting for me to kind of do my bit to close the gap. He does it all. I happily receive the title dog. I happily receive the title of one who is at the way other end of the gap and I graciously love, I gratefully love that he closes the gap. He comes across. Now I have a dog. His name is Darby. He's a chocolate Labrador and he's pretty cool. And in the morning I go downstairs where he sleeps Well, sometimes I go, sometimes Rachel goes, sometimes I send the kids. But when I go, 
I open the door, it's morning, Dubby's hungry. And so he runs outside, and you know what he does? He fumbles around in his fur for his car keys, and he thinks, I might just duck down to Macca's and get a meal or something, or the pet shop, because there's a gap between my hunger and the food. He doesn't do that. He doesn't think, well, Labradors were bred to be kind of gun dogs and maybe I could find a fish in a stream somewhere or something like that. No, he doesn't. You know what he does? He does this. He just looks at his master. Total trust. He just looks at me and says, I know that you'll fix the gap. I know you'll get the food. You'll put the food in front of me. You'll say, take it and I'll eat it. And that's it. That's it. He simply trusts that I do everything to close the gap and he does not need to move. We believe he will build not on the foundation of our efforts but on the rock that is trusting him. And so brothers and sisters, let us be cautious of some of the gap-closing efforts that exist. Sometimes we'll be tempted to preach a soft gospel Sometimes we'll be fearful to tell the world, you know what, I'm not okay and you're not okay. In fact, I'm not basically a good bloke and you're basically not a top chick. Actually, we are people who deserve death and because that's the wages of sin and that's all our state and the only hope for us is rescuing Christ. Ooh, that might turn somebody off. I can't lead them across a gap. I can only present the Jesus who comes to us. My gospel must be sound. Well, then just make sure you don't talk about money if they come to church. No, I need to because I want everyone to know that the Lord Jesus is the Lord of your time, your talent and your treasure. How will I ever know that I need to repent ownership of all these things to him unless someone tells me? I don't try to close the gap. Well, maybe some of those ethics that are awkward, let's not raise those. No, indeed, let's raise them. Let's speak right into the belief blockers. Let's go right to that space, graciously and wisely, but let us tell all people that Jesus has an opinion on all these things so all people might hear of his lordship over everything and have the chance to invite him to offer them mercy, help and be their master. You know, sometimes we remember that passage from Paul that says we've entrusted treasure into jars of clay. We don't ever want to be a people who would hope that our clay would outshine his treasure. We want to present a Jesus who meets each and every one of us where we are, who comes to us if we will simply receive him. Jesus said to this Canaanite woman, woman, you have great faith. I don't think he was saying, wow, you trust me so much. It's not that you trust me a lot but you trust that I can do a lot. For Jesus was pretty satisfied to be able to have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not about the size of faith, it's about the quality of faith. It's about in who you trust. He is the one who closes the gap. Not the size, but the quality. Jesus says to her and Jesus says to us, you trusted I would not leave you to face life alone. You trusted that I could close the gap, that I could come to where you are. You don't pretend, nor do you ask me to pretend. You simply trust that I am willing and able to come to you. On this rock he will build. And so we move from the shifting sands that is our own effort. And we look to the rock 
that is trusting in the King, the King of hope, the King of favour, the glorious Master and King of dogs like me. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him we find mercy and from that mercy comes hope of being released from whatever yesterday held into a glorious future. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, the one who not only provides mercy but provides help and so we receive your favour, your smile, sin covered over and what the Bible calls blessing. You have truly made us glad. And Father, we delight in being your dogs. We delight that our status as children, adopted children and co-heirs with Christ does not come because we were some kind of dogs that stood up on our hind legs and pretended to be human, but because you came to us, adopted us and transformed us in the name of Jesus. And so we praise his name and we commit our faith to him and him alone. Amen.